Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sharon and I will be talking today about, we're going to talk about how stopping an addiction is actually easy. It can be very easy when you have the right information. We wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one sessions. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. All right, Mark, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be dismissive when I say that stopping an addiction is easy because a lot of people will take that the wrong way and they might become offended by it because when you're in the midst of it, it's, it can be very confounding. Um, it was for me. I know it was for you. Yeah. So, so I wanted. What what's happened today in the treatment world? What has made it hard is treatment. Right. Is the whole paradigm of what addiction you know the addiction disease paradigm, and so what makes it hard is when people think that they have these competing wills inside themselves. You know, to they they think that they're doing something that they really don't want to be doing. And and once you, the further down that rabbit hole you go, the harder it seems to be able to fix the problem. Yeah, there's, there's an idea. There's an idea that addiction happens to you. We've covered a right. lot of this in other podcasts, but I want to be really, um, really clear in this podcast. So... Addiction isn't something that happens to you from outside and then lands in your lap. You don't catch it like you catch a cold. Right. It's not a virus. It's not, it's not a foreign power. Right. right. So, so it's not this, this but, but we talk about it constantly like it is that. Right. And so people become enormously confused because for a lifetime in Western culture, they've been taught through words that have meanings. Um, that addiction is something that is otherworldly and it comes into you and changes you and changes your biochemistry and then you can't think for yourself. That the addiction is speaking for you. That's your disease talking, they say in AA. Right. Now, now AA is, is the most egregious of all the, the models out there because it it's really um, pointed in the direction that Alcohol, this is a term they use, is alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And alcohol is nothing. It's not a person. It doesn't have a mind. Right. So the question becomes, and, and you have to break it down like this, philosophically, if alcohol doesn't have a mind and you have a mind, then who's the one in charge? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? Right. I mean, that's really simple. Right. Right? That's so simple. But here's the problem. In, even in today's uh, psychiatry, yes. um, in, the, in the whole psychological world, when we talk about um, people and decision-making, we talk about it in the sense of brain. So we talk about it in a biochemical way. The problem is with that, is that biochemistry doesn't create thought. But that's the common thinking. Right. So So that means if it does create thought, that means you're 
you're a slave to your brain. You are a slave to the to the physical. Yeah. To the brain tissue, to the chemicals and the electrical impulses of nerves in your central nervous system. And and so so then alcohol doesn't need a mind anymore. Then alcohol because it affects brain tissue. Uh, you get into this idea that alcohol is now in control. Now it's not in control. It does affect brain tissue, but brain tissue isn't what thinks. Right. Okay. The mind is separate, completely separate from the brain, but works in concert with it. It's like software and hardware and a computer. If you had the hardware is your brain tissue, and we've talked about this before, but but we need to really, we're going to break this down deep here. Um, so you have hardware, that's your brain tissue, and then you have the intelligence that tells the computer how to function, how to work, uh, what to prioritize, how it should function in, in all its ways. If you take a computer, and I've said this before, if you take a computer and you get rid of the software, you have a boat anchor. It doesn't do anything. It's useless. If you have a human being without a mind, we call that brain dead, folks. That's when you yeah. unplug somebody. Yep. They're dead. So the human mind is the human. And then you have this thing called the meat suit, the body. And the brain happens to be in that. So now people, that, that brings you down a rabbit hole. Well, then why do you need a brain? If you're, if you're this sort of disembodied mind floating around, what do you need a body for? <laughs> well, there, there's something called the physical universe that we live in. We have to move in. We have to feed ourselves. And so we need a vessel to do that. Now, I don't know why it's set up that way. I don't propose to be God, but I know that it's self-evident that there's a mind, I think. Yes. Uh, you think. And every guest I've ever had, over 20,000 of them through the years between, you know, free model private instruction at the retreat and all the consultations we've done, it's over 20,000 people. And when I ask them, do you think? They all agree, yeah. And then I say, do you choose? Yeah. But not with alcohol. It's the weirdest thing. It is. It is. Everybody can seem to choose for themselves with so many things. But when it comes to alcohol and drugs, um, but then but then you have this whole huge, the vast majority of people who at one point in time were heavy users, heavy daily users. And we've seen people... That, that were pretty far down, you know, that were yeah. homeless on yeah. the streets and just one day decided they wanted to stop. Yep, and do. And do. That's the way most people do it. That's right. It is that easy. Now, now the problem is, is that if you've noticed, if you're listening to this, I guarantee you that half of what I said started to prickle you. Yeah. You started saying, no, no, it's, it, you know, my brain tissue is affected by drugs. I didn't say it wasn't. Right. Okay. Right. I'm not saying that drugs don't do something. And I have to say this in every damn podcast because people will jump all over me and say, well, you're saying that you don't get high. I mean, right. for God's sakes, I'm a guy that for six years was drunk out of my mind. I think I know a little bit about. <laughs> I, I know what it feels like to be super high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> overdosed. I've been, I passed out. Yep, I blacked yep. out. And, you know, I, I've done all those things. So, um, but it would be like taking the electrical source out of a computer, slowing down the hard drive. That's what alcohol does. It would be like slowing down the brain. Now, the brain is the mechanical processor of thought, a metaphysical thought. I I don't know where thoughts exist. I don't know how they're generated, but I know that I think 
I know I think. Yeah. And I know that if I want to pick up that cup of coffee sitting on my desk right there, I have to think about it first. And you know you can change your mind. That's right. Totally. You can one day really want to do something and the next day not want to do it at all. Yeah. It's, and I've used the analogy for years that, that when you're 16, you get your license, you go from the bicycle to your car and you don't even think about it. Bike is And no you longer, never look back. You, you really don't. You really, unless that's a hobby of yours, right? right? Unless you're a cyclist, right? <laughs> but but the majority of us, that's not important to us, so we move on. The point is, the point is, preferences change with impunity, and and you can it it all comes down to the happiness value and the utility and function that you see in your mind. Yes. With it, because without a mind, you can't pick up the bottle of vodka, you can't put the crack pipe to your mouth, you can't put the needle in your arm. And you can't experience any of it without thinking, I want that. Now, the drug doesn't have that capability. It doesn't have a mind. So the only one in you, the only one in your entity, in the sphere of you, that's making any decisions is you. Right. Is your mind. And, it, and irrespective of the fact that you're, you may be saturated with alcohol, irrespective of the fact that you might be having withdrawal, irrespective of the fact that you might have six beers in you and you want a seventh, at, you can choose not to have the seventh because you have all done that. You've all yes. stopped at some point. You've all not drank, you know. So this idea that we're drug-taking zombies because there's some cunning, baffling, powerful force that's outside of us compelling us to use is bullshit. It's yeah. just not true, you know. And And so, but the problem is, is that Without even realizing it, our culture has instilled a complete vocabulary that is devoted to teaching you that drugs have powers, have mystical, thought-driven powers and motives. And I was, I, I was watching this guy, and I said this in a podcast a long time ago, did this presentation, he's like, the drugs want you, they want to kill you, oh, yeah. they want to own you. And I... And after the presentation, I said, I said, Rich, this, what you're talking about is, is not true. He said, no, it's true. And I said, no, it's not. The drugs don't think. You honestly, do you believe what you're saying? And he was embarrassed. You know, he had a whole system built around this idea that the drugs, you know, have motives. He didn't even realize what he was saying. You know, we say it so often in the culture, he didn't even realize it. And... And it scared him because he realized, my God, you know, I'm, I'm teaching the wrong thing here. I told this story today in class. When when I was, when I first went to AA, now I didn't, I, I never bought in fully to all of it, right? But, but there was a certain, there's this certain idea. And I think even people in the groups that leave AA and, and that look at it and they don't believe in it and they, and they know that something's inherently wrong with it, still struggle with this idea that they have these, these this this angel and devil on their shoulder, right? And that they, they, they're not really sure what they want to do. So so anyways, I told this story. In AA, in the beginning, they were like, you gotta stay away from people, places, and things, right? You you don't want to go anywhere, you might be triggered. And and so I was I did something I shouldn't have done. I got involved in a relationship very early on, and we were going out to dinner, and it was probably the first time since I had stopped drinking that I was in a restaurant that served alcohol. Other, I mean, the only restaurants that don't are pretty much fast food. And so we were going out to a nice dinner. 
And we walked in there, and I, I said to I said to Bob, um, should we be in here? Like, I remember having that conversation. He looked at me like, why shouldn't we be in here? And I'm like, because you could see all the booze. You know, the booze is all lined up behind the bar. I'm like, well, look at all of that. And he's like, and? Now, you got to know Bob was in AA, too. <laughs> and he was like, thought that this was totally crazy. And then I realized it is totally crazy. That's right. Like, the alcohol stand it had has no power. It's just sitting on the shelf. Right. It's literally sitting on the shelf. And the truth was, he goes, do you want a drink? And I said, I don't. And ironically, it, I realized at that moment that the only time I ever thought about drinking was at a meeting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I, we could have a, a, alcohol sitting on the table in front of me. We could have weed. What, you know, shrooms, whatever drug that I was wanting and any particular day, they all could have been sitting on the table and I was done. I didn't want them. That's right. That's right. You know, you brought up something that I think is, let me hit this from an, another angle. People deliberate inside their own mind, right? Yes. So, and if a lot of you are my age, like 50 or older, you'll remember um, Bugs Bunny cartoons where you had the devil on the one shoulder. Oh, yes. You know, and then the angel on the other and they're fighting back and forth, right? <laughs> Well, what's, what's interesting about that is when you're deliberating on whether you should get high or not or, you know, when you're really struggling and, and it's hard, it does feel it does. Like, there's, like there's a struggle. Here's the problem, though. Struggling within ourselves, deliberating, is totally normal. Yes. It becomes abnormal. It becomes totally abnormal. When you begin to believe that one of the uh, parts that you're deliberating, whether it's the angel or the devil, is an entity. Right. That's the problem. It's whether when, you believe it's an entity inside yourself, like some gene or, or you know, this craving thing that takes hold of you or outside yourself. Anything that isn't you. Right. See, deliberating is you making a choice. That's what deliberating is. It's you, you're the angel, you're the devil. You're both. Right. Okay? And that process of going from the angel to the devil to the devil to the angel and back and forth means that you see the happiness value of that choice as being fairly equal. Okay? Right. Or else you wouldn't be deliberating. You would just shift to one side. Right. So as the, as the scales of the decision yes. of the choice equal out, you have to deliberate back and forth between the happiness value and then that scale tips one way and eventually it's going to tip one way. You're going to analyze and say, you know, you know what? I do want to get drunk. Right. I do. The benefits of being shit-faced tonight are better than the benefits of not doing it, at least in the short term right now. Now, that's normal decision-making. Normal decision-making. Um, the problem is, is that then we complicate it. We complicate it from a choice, a decision that is internal to the human being, to that individual, to there's a process of something other than you that's playing a role in your decision-making beyond your will. Right. And that is where things become complex. And the reason they become complex is because it's not true. It's not true. Alcohol doesn't have a mind. So it doesn't have a say. Heroin doesn't call to you. It doesn't have a voice. Uh, methamphetamine doesn't own you. 
It can't. It's not alive. But because we think of it in these bizarre and weird religious terms, we call it... Supernatural. Yes. I call it the dual mind. Are there two minds at work inside of you? And you brought it up. Well, no, it's my genes conspiring against me. Really, do genes talk? <laughs> do they talk? Right. Do genes talk? I, let, let's, let's, I'm going to ask the question, do they talk? Well, no, but, but I, I, I might think something because of my genes. Really? Do you? Is, is the mind fettered by genetics? Aren't genetics physical? Right. Okay? They're physical. It decides what color eyes you're going to have. It decides how many hairs on your head. It decides how quickly your nails are going to grow. Okay? The color of your skin, that mole on your back, whatever. But it has nothing to do with your mind and your thoughts. Genes don't play that big of a role there. Now, they might, you, your thoughts may turn genes on and off. But, but notice the order that I just talked. Right. Okay? We're the seeing, same with chemicals. That's right. So, mm-hmm. so the mind is in charge. If you think certain things, we now see that you can uh, affect the genome, right? You can turn genes on and off. Um, and that's pretty cutting-edge stuff, and we don't know that much about it. But the point is, the thing that's in charge there, once again, is your mind. So, so you are what you think, literally. That's your experience. That's who you are. That's, that's the embodiment. When you call yourself by your name, that's your mind. Right. That's who you are. The body is the processor and the vessel we need to deal with this physical realm in which we walk around in. If we didn't have a body, we'd be a disembodied spirit, right? And I don't know what that means. I don't because I have a body. (laughs) And until this body gets hit by a beer truck, you know, this is what I'm stuck in. So, And so are the rest of the people. So bottles don't do that. They don't walk around. They're not cunning. Cunning. Think about that. Cunning. That's a human thing. That's bizarre. <laughs> right? Baffling. It's getting baffled. It's putting blindfolds on you. And, and powerful. Powerful. Supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is why you're confused. This is why. This is This is what makes it hard for people. Yeah, because you're you're literally focused on folklore, on something that can't be solved. You're looking at a bottle in this way and you're not questioning it. You're not looking at it and saying, literally, do I think it's cunning, baffling, powerful? Why do I think that? Should I be thinking that? Is it possible that maybe what what AA taught me is is not true? Right. You know? And and when you start to question it like I did in 1989, I found out that it was Bill's fantasy. Yeah. This whole thing was a goddamn fantasy. It didn't. It, it was. It was completely and totally fabricated while he was in a massive depression, penniless, living in the upstairs attic of the first AA clubhouse that was making no money. And he was so depressed about that, he was in a three-year deep depression, suicidal depression, because he was poor and he hated the fact that he wasn't a millionaire and all his compatriots, all the people that were around him, were rich. And he felt like such a loser. So he said, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to market the shit out of this thing. Yeah. And he died a millionaire. That's what this is about. We're, we're all victims. Well, not only did he die a millionaire, but he night. died a millionaire guru. He's a deity yeah. to these people. He's a prophet. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the religion yep. of this fabricated fantasy um, called the AA Big Book. 
um, bizarre stuff, really bizarre stuff. Break it down. I want anybody that doesn't believe me, read all the AA-approved literature. Read Pass It On. Read uh, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. I mean, this stuff talks about... As his, Bill sees it. As Bill sees it. Bill admits he knew he was so far off his rocker that he had to start admitting in literature some of his craziness because he had to get out in front of it because his cult was being seen as a cult in the 50s right. when he started making money. So what happened was he said, oh my God, let me sort of make light of my ego. So he started writing these books. Now, when you read these books, you have to read into it and you'll see, oh boy. So he was getting in front of this from a marketing angle. All these books were designed, he, he laughed about the fact that at one time, here's an example. He, he wrote about laughing at a guy that was going to be on a radio show when they were first selling the book. Okay, one of the guys that they got sober. Okay? Right. They were so frightened that this guy was going to go out and get shit-faced before the interview <laughs> that they convinced him to stay in a basement and be locked in the basement. The guy was pissed off when they actually locked him in. And then they sat there on the other side of the door, talked to him all night through the door. Jeez. Locked, locked this guy and then let him out only to go to the radio station and do the interview, which he did do and got paid for. So, so that's what, this is the kind of bullshit that was going on. That's just one thing. Now, in, in some of the books, when they talk about that, they talk about it as the fledgling society in this flowery language of this, these are the wild and crazy times of AA and it became like, you know, this folk hero kind of crap. Right. But, but to that guy who then ended up getting drunk and died, it's, it's not folklore. You know, no. that, that was, that was, that really happened to him. So, so there's all kinds of, of things like that, that were going on. This is what we're discussing here is the basis of treatment in America. It is. It is. And it's exactly what has made it so difficult for people. It's why overdose rates are up. It's why more people struggle. It's why we see, we actually see the numbers of, for lack of a better term, spontaneous remission, yeah. which is what they call it when somebody just ages stops, out. Yeah, ages they age out. out of it, that number is going down. That's right. Because AA does such a good job and treatment does such a good job. Distracting with, you from the simple truth. Well, in the propaganda that's out there, I mean, from a young age, you will see you were you learn in school addiction is a disease you learn it on television you learn it in popular tv shows you learn it on social media you learn it everywhere that addiction addiction is this thing that will get you yeah that will get you yeah. now how 100 million people get prescribed opiates a year and 2 million approximately on any given day struggle right. so i mean the math there if if and and any, that's your struggles, and then how many overdose out of that? It's even it's yeah. tiny. It's even tinier. It's well, this year we probably had probably a hundred thousand, or last year probably a hundred thousand. Um, I I know that the number was going up pretty quickly. Yeah, it, the, it, it was increasing with the lockdowns at 40, yeah. uh, like forty two percent. They said in additional deaths, absolutely tragic. We've never seen such an increase. These lockdowns are ludicrous. But uh, but think about that. So. The people that buy into AA and you're told you need AA 
and you need all of that to stay sober right. and then everything shut down yes and so you have all these people that are lost they're or, like uh, yeah look at you know i hate the whole support network thing right because support implies it feeds this narrative that there's this exterior force that you need to be protected from you don't need support from your own decisions no right that that would be strange right that somebody else is going to make decisions for you and support you into making different decisions. Well, really? Well, I said to I said in class today too. I was kind of reminiscing, and I said, I can remember being told within the first couple of weeks by my sponsor, my new sponsor, that you know if you feel like drinking, then call me. And even right then, I said, so what will you do? Like. <laughs> Well, yeah. what will you do? And she was like, well, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk you through it. And I'm like, well, look, it. here's the deal. If I'm feeling like I'm going to drink, I'm probably not going to call <laughs> because I'm just going to go drink. <laughs> if I call you, it means I don't really want to drink. Right. Right? Yeah. That, isn't that funny? <laughs> that, that silly charade. Right. So I'm supposed to call you when I clearly don't really want to drink. So when, my, when I got sponsees... And I said, they're like, should I call you if I want to drink? And I'm like, no, you should probably drink. <laughs> I'm like, you can call me, just chat. But don't call me and say I want to drink because you're calling me, which means you don't really want to drink. Because right. if you really wanted to drink, you would go drink. Right. I mean, let's not overcomplicate this. I know, I know. That's, <laughs> that's such a good point. That's such a good point. There's the distraction at its foundation is found in this idea that a drug outside of your body and mind and spirit outside of that is some sort of force that can compel you to behave in a way. Right. And especially at some level, like beer number six, you're gone. Right. You know, and or whatever, you know, everybody has their little vignette of, of that experience, but it's all, based on this idea that drugs have powers. Right. And they don't. They don't. They don't. They are not. You are the only powerful entity in this equation. It's just you choosing. And in the freedom model, we say it over and over. There's, there's, you know, there's no battle to be had. There's just choices to make. And some choices, when you deliberate, are hard to make because yeah. you still like certain things that you know aren't the best for yourself. Yeah, if you genuinely... Now, I sat on a fence for a little while. I've said this before. I say I sat on the fence, but when I stopped, I stopped. And so the only reason I think that I sat on the fence was because I was attending meetings. Right. And and I was reminded at meetings that I kind of liked being drunk. That there was... And plus, they kind of reinforced these... This idea that that alcohol and drugs have magical powers to, you know, to self-medicate you and, um, you know, and none of that is true. And I intellectually knew none of it was true because I stopped it because I was so unhappy. Yeah. And I realized I I, I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stop drinking just to see if it's better. Yeah. Just to see if my life, if I'll feel a little better. And I did. I felt a little better. Yeah. Yeah, and and what makes you feel a lot better is when you realize all the facts that 
drugs can't even temporarily take away your stress, anxiety, or trauma. Yeah. Um, and that that's a whole different topic that we've addressed in other podcasts and, and videos. Uh, and certainly in the book in chapter 17 through 20, if you, look, if you believe that you can self-medicate using crack, heroin, pot, whatever, alcohol, alcohol, then you need to read those chapters and get on with the truth. And that is that drugs do not contain mindfully changing. Remember, they, they can't affect the mind. They can affect the processor of the brain. They can slow it down or speed it up, essentially. But they cannot, they cannot go into your mind and selectively take your stress and selectively uh, attack your your anxieties. It, it, they just don't work that way, you know. It's that our, our mind is our beliefs, yeah, and it's metaphysical. So um, it's beyond what what alcohol or drugs can touch. You know, I figured something out when we were just talking. Um, so AA does an interesting thing because when people relapse, they call it relapse, right? When people go back to drinking, they say the person failed not the program, right? Because they just didn't work this simple program. And the reason they do that is because they know in the end that AA is bullshit. Yeah. Because they know when they tell you just don't drink and go to meetings, just don't drink, that's the answer. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. I know. So you drank. So you failed. Well, if, and because I would always say if I could just not drink, which I can, but if I could, right. if you thought I could, then why would I need your meetings? I know. I, I've said that. I know. I, I said that. I, you know, and, and. It really upsets people. It really upsets people. And it just shows that we've complicated the shit out of, out of a sandwich. I mean, I, <laughs> this is what you need to do. You need to decide whether you really, really, really like drinking and drugging still. And, and really analyze from that perspective. And then read chapter 17 through 20 if you think that it pharmacologically takes away stress, anxiety. If you think it helps you in any way, shape, or form. Right, mentally. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, alcohol helps us physically if we drink a little each day. Sometimes that can, in certain people, can be beneficial. I, I get all that. Here, here's what we're talking about is, does it pharmacologically go into your brain tissue and take, selectively take away your stress when you're hiding away on your bender in the hotel. Does it do that? Right, right. Um, can it do that? And the answer is absolutely, unequivocally, no, it can't. And um, what the buzz does, what the physical sensation does, is cues you to let go of your stress yourself. Right. You, you make a decision. Once again, you make a choice in your mind. Yes. Um, and the alcohol buzz, the physical sensation of a drug being in your brain and body uh, cues you to make some decisions based on your beliefs. Um, So that's where we get into the little more complexities of how they've complicated all this. Um, But ultimately, people drink and drug because they like it, because they see value in it, and because they believe it's magical when it's not. And as long as you continue to believe in the magic and the myths, you will drink and drug heavily because it builds in such a deviant value to the experience um, that it seems impossible not to do it. It seems like you need it. Yep. You, you come to that conclusion that you need it. And so you will keep using it while you believe you need it. Um, but always remember there was a time in your life when you didn't. That's right. That's you right. You didn't need it for any reason. And you can you can get to that point again if you know the truth. 
And once you know the truth, you can literally... Here's two experiences I had, and we'll end with this. I had an experience with two FMPI students lately, the last two that I had. Both of them got to about class 8 to 9 out of 12, and, they, and I could see that the shift was happening because they understood the mechanics of what I was talking about, the fact that this dual mind was bullshit, that all this stuff was nonsense. And when they read the research, they were absolutely, totally blown away. So what happened was um, they, uh, they called me. Well, we got on, the, we got on Zoom, and they said, is it, is it, both of them said this, is it really this easy? And I knew they had it, you know, because it was the very first sentence they, they came out with in the class. Yes. And now up to that time, it was this back and forth debunking all the crap that they had learned. Yeah. And now they were getting right through the, to the end chapters. They, they, and they said, and I, the one kid goes, I don't need classes anymore. And I said, you're right. <laughs> and now the class before I had him, I, I said, watch Goodwill Hunting. I said, it's not a true story, obviously. But Goodwill Hunting is such a great movie because with the psychiatrist, he outgrows psychiatry and he's got a good therapist, Robin Williams, who says, just go out and find your chick. You know, go out and have some fun. And the last scene is Matt Damon driving down the road chasing his dream. And that's life. Yes. That's life. We don't live in therapy. We don't have to live in recovery meetings. We don't have, once you know the truth, just go live. Yeah. Go live. And, uh... It's so freeing. Yeah, it's, when you it's do wonderful. That. So anyway, both of them said, and this is happening more and more, it really is that easy, isn't it? Yes, but what, But we have to wade through all the bullshit. Yeah. You know, and debunk it. So if you have any questions about that, we wrote it in a book for you called The Freedom Model for Addictions. Just read it and get through it. And if you need help, we can help you. So Michelle will tell you how we can help you, all the different services that we offer right now. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help uh, for a substance use problem or any other habitual behavior problem, or maybe you just want help breaking free from uh, the recovery world as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626. Or you can go to our websites at thefreedommodel.org or soberforever.net. Soberforever.net provides detailed information about our residential retreat, which is the St. Jude Retreat, which is open. Um, We have room for three guests, and you will be here immersed in the Freedom Model with Mark and I. Um, Thefreedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program. Digital editions of our program books are also available there. Um, if you want to get, we're gonna, uh, we're still offering the digital editions uh, for free on our website. The, that's both of our books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family. Um, just type in coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout uh, to get those for free. You can get paperback and Kindle versions as well on Amazon, or you can get paperbacks from one of the other online retailers. Um, if you want to email us, you can contact us at, contact us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can also contact us through social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and you can subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We post videos up there pretty frequently, and we also have three Facebook groups. We started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time. 
And also, if you oh. need detox, if you need detox, you want to go to Gallus Detox. They have uh, one uh, center in one facility in Denver, Colorado, and one in Scottsdale, Arizona. We've been working with them for 10 years. So if you need to get off of methadone or, or suboxone, suboxone, if you want to move on with your life, they're the folks to go to. They're awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.